As I said, we've been working our way through the book of Genesis, and last week ended an entire section of the book of Genesis. We went from Adam all the way through Noah, and that encompassed a couple of thousand years, two thousand years, and from this point on... To the end of the book, even though we've only come all the way through chapter 11 and chapter 12, and we'll go all the way to chapter 50, but the next section of the Bible to the end is only going to cover a time span of about 450 years. And today we're going to begin looking at a guy whose name is going to be Abram. You will know him as Abraham. He starts off as Abram. God changes his name later on to Abraham. Abram simply means great father. Abraham means father of nations. He's a man that most people are familiar with. He's mentioned in 11 books of the New Testament. He's mentioned in all of the Gospels. He's mentioned over 300 times in the Bible. He's certainly a guy that that if if you're familiar with the Scriptures, he's certainly a guy that you're familiar with. He is the guy that the three major world religions point to as their origin. Islam, Judaism, and Christianity all point to him. Notice on your outline from Romans chapter 4, verse 16, it says that Abraham is the father of all who believe. He is known in the Bible and in Christian circles as the father of faith, the father of faith. Now, that's not on your outline, but you might want to make a note of that somewhere. And the reason that's so important for our study today is simply this. Let me ask you a question. Is there anybody here who felt that by this time in your life that you would have it a little bit more together than you have? Anybody? Okay. Is there, okay, I see that hand in the back. Yes, a few people are in denial. And, uh, you, you know, you, you think you have it together. Is there anybody here who maybe you've been a believer for some time, but you thought, you know, by this time in my life, I thought I would be just a little bit more spiritual? Anybody? Okay, good. Well, um, is there anybody here who felt that by this time in their life, by this time in their walk with the Lord, their relationship with God, that they would somehow have stopped making some really stupid mistakes? Is there anybody who felt that by this time we should have stopped? Okay, good. Then this is the right crowd. Now, Abraham, and and I am the chief of all sinners, truly. Uh, Abraham in the Bible is what we would call the prototype of faith. That is, he's the pattern for us to, to follow. What's so great about Abraham is we're going to see over the next few chapters is that Abraham, although he will become the father of faith, although he will become a great man of faith, he will become the friend of God. What we find out early on in his walk with God is he doesn't do so well. And we're going to see quite a few struggles that Abraham goes, goes through. And that's important. I believe that God has placed this in the Bible and he's chosen Abraham to show you and I that God tends to choose the people who are the most unlikely. Now, when we hear of Abraham, we hear father of faith. We hear great spiritual leader, father, you know, father Abraham and all these great things. But as we see, we're going to really question how in the world did this guy get to become the father of faith? That's important. It's important for me. It's important for you because maybe you're like me. In my life, The biggest blunders, the stupidest things I've ever done, the biggest sins, of course I got saved when I was five, but the worst things I've ever done came after I became a believer, after I really started walking with God. And there are times in my life when I look back and I say, that's the point I really started to grow in my my walk and relationship with God and God really began to do some things and it's after that time that I made some really stupid mistakes. And if you find that to be you today, then just know you're in very good company. And as there is hope for Abraham, there is hope for you. But Abraham does not begin as the father of faith, and neither do you. Make sense? Good. Well, let's look at it and see how it goes. Let's pick it up in chapter 11. We'll backtrack just a little bit. Chapter 11 and verses 27 and 28. It says, and I want you to underline a few things. It says, now these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, underlined Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot, now underline Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur, underline Ur, of the Chaldeans, in Ur of the Chaldeans. So a couple of things. First of all, we're introduced to a guy, Abram. We're introduced to Lot, who will be his nephew. He will be important for our story later on. Abraham begins as a pagan, a non-believer, just like you and I begin. 
He comes from the land of Ur and the land of the Chaldeans. It's an interesting thing as you study the, what was going on in that time and, and in that region. In Ur of the Chaldeans, they worshipped the moon god of war. His name was Al, A-L. His symbol was the crescent moon. That faith becomes more systematized in about 600 A.D. And so that's sort of Abraham's origins. Make sense so far? Now, at this time, Abraham, as he begins to, to grow, Noah is going to be alive for another 65, 70 years, somewhere around there, possibly 100 years. So that just lets you know a little bit about the time span. It's been quite some time, but Noah's still alive. Well, verse 29 and 30, it says, Abraham and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, underline that. Later on, she will have a name changed to Sarah. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. And I just wanted you to know that I could pronounce those words, and otherwise I would have skipped over them. Verse 30, it says, Sarai was barren, and she had no child. Now, this is interesting because our story is going to pick up when Abraham is 75, and Sarah will be 65 years of age at this time. And here's what we're going to learn about Sarah. Sarah is 65, she's really hot, and she's barren. Those are the three things you need to know about her. She's 65, she's really hot, and she's barren. Now, that, that's pretty cool because at 65, a lot of ladies aren't thinking that they're really hot. But this lady is so good-looking, and, and the Bible's going to tell us this. I'm not making this up. She is so good-looking that later on, two kings will come and try to take her as their wife. Uh, so uh, that's... I don't know what you do with that, but that's a, that's a little piece of Bible trivia. Verses 31 and 32, it says... Um, Terah took Abram his son. I want you to underline that. Terah took Abram his son. And Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, and his son, Abram's wife. And they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter into the land of Canaan. You and I would know Canaan as the promised land. It won't be called that for a couple hundred years. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. So they went as far as Haran and settled there. Now, underline that. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So, one of the things that we see is that Terah leads the family. They go to this town called Haran, which will actually be named after one of his sons. And uh, he's there for some time, and he dies there. That's actually important for our study today. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, is where the plot begins to thicken. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, underline that, from your relatives, and from your father's house. To the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, so you shall be a blessing. Now, I want you to underline this. Verse 3 says, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And, and so in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Well, a couple of things. God at this point appears to Abram and he makes some promises. And I want you to write something down because it's, it's, you, you need to know this in order to understand these promises. First of all, they are unconditional. Write that down. God does not say, Abram, I'm going to bless you if you are good, if you follow me, if uh, your kids do well. He just says, Abraham, this is my plan. This is what I'm going to do. The blessing that God places on Abraham will not be based upon Abraham's behavior. It's an unconditional promise. Does that make sense? He says, I will bless those who bless you, and those who curse you, I will curse. Abraham is the first Jew. And so because of this, Christians throughout history, those who come and study the Bible will say it's an interesting promise that God says, I will bless those who bless you. He says, I will make you a great nation. Literally, you could say, I will bless those who bless the Jewish people, and I will curse those who curse you. It's an interesting study of history. We won't take it today, but just so you, you know that it's out there, of studying history and countries and how they treated the Jewish people and what took place in the life of those countries. You have the Jewish people who lived in Germany for quite some time. 
And, did, and Germany prospered. But there came a day when Germany said, we are no longer embracing this group of people, and they, they persecuted this group of people, and you all know the rest of the story. It's a very interesting study of history from that perspective. Again, you can track that down. I'm not, that's not really for our purpose today, but just one of those little things that you go, hmm. Hmm. Verse 1, he says, chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Now, that's interesting because in my Bible, it says the Lord said to Abram, but most of our Bibles and and, uh, one of the versions I placed on your outline from the New King James, it says, now the Lord had said to Abram. How many of your Bibles say something like the Lord had said to Abram? Most of you have a Bible that says the Lord had said. My Bible does not say that. Your Bible is right and my Bible is wrong on on that translation. God here in chapter 12, verse 1, when it says the Lord said to Abram, literally it's the Lord had said to Abram. The idea is that God is saying something that he has already said previously to Abraham. Does that make sense so far? So there was a time before this when God said to Abraham, everything that he says in the first three verses, go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, and and, uh, to a land which I will show you, and I will bless you, make a great nation, and I will bless you. And it goes on. Now, when did God speak to Abraham the same thing before we see this in chapter 12? Well, it's interesting that in the New Testament, here's what it tells us. In Acts chapter 7... It says that Steph, from uh, Acts chapter 7, there's a guy named Stephan. And it says, and he said, hear me, brethren and fathers. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Now, that's important because basically the Bible teaches, it says here in chapter 12, it says God had already said this. And not only has God already said this, but God tells us when God had already told him this. God told him this when he was living way back in Mesopotamia before Haran. That is, while he was living in Ur, God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your father's house. And I want you to follow me. And I'm going to take you to a place that you've never been. And as I take you to that place, here's the thing. It's going to be a land of promise. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. And, And so that was the promise that God made to Abraham years before in the land of Ur. Does that make sense? Okay. You say, well, Pastor Dan, why would you tell me that? Well, a couple of things. First of all, I want you, let's see if we can agree on this, that at some point, prior to what we're seeing in chapter 12, Abraham heard God's voice. We agree on that? So write that down. Abraham hears God's voice. Sometime before. God, in essence, says to Abraham, comes to Abraham when he's in Ur of the Chaldees, and he says, Abraham, I want you to follow me. That makes sense? We can agree on that? Write that down. Abraham, I want you to follow me. And... Part of what God said was, I want you to leave your country, I want you to leave your relatives, and I want you to leave your father's house. We agree on that, right? That's part of it. So what does Abraham do when God comes to him and says, Abraham, leave your country, leave your family, leave your father's house. I'm telling this way back in early Chaldee. What does he do? Well, let's look and see. Chapter 11, verse 31. They're living in the land of Ur. God's told Abraham, leave your family, leave your your nation, leave your relatives. And and notice what it says. Verse 31, it says, Terah, that's Abraham's dad, took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, and Abram's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans. So let me ask you a question. God told him to leave his family. God told him to leave his relatives. Does he do that? So it appears at this point that Terah hears what's going on, and Terah decides, he says, well, great, I'll go with you. And so it says in chapter 11, verse 31, it says, so Haran, or Terah, leaves the family. Here's what I want to suggest to you, and here's the point. Sadly, and you want to write this down, sadly, Abraham, although he's heard God's voice, he knows exactly what God has said in this point. As he begins his walk of faith, the first thing that we notice is Abram begins to follow the wrong relationship. Because God said, leave your family, leave your relatives, leave your land. And the first thing that we notice that Abraham does is he leaves his land, but he takes all the relatives along. Now, that's interesting to me because he's being led by his father. His father's name is Terah. 
Terah's name in the Hebrew simply means wanderer. Wanderer. I put that on your outline. Some suggest that his name equally means delay. Delay. So here's Abraham. God comes to him and says, follow me. God says, leave this relationship. Sadly, Abraham does not leave the relationship. He follows the relationship that God said to leave. And where does he wind up? Well, it's interesting that following the wrong relationship, Terah, Terah brings him to the place called Haran. Following the wrong relationship leads him to Haran. Now, Abraham's a believer at this point. He's heard God's voice, but he goes to Haran. Now, I find it interesting that if you look at the word Haran in the Hebrew from Strong's Concordance, very simply, there in your outline, the Hebrew is just Charon, and it just means parched. Parched. Underline that. Spiritually speaking, here's what's going on. God said, as he began to speak to Abraham, he said, Abraham, I have a plan for you, and I want to do something in your life. But here's what it means. In order for you to follow me, you're going to have to leave this relationship. Sadly, Abraham wants to follow God, but he doesn't listen to God. Instead, he follows the wrong relationship. He follows the guy whose name is wandering. And so now we find Abraham, you might say, spiritually wandering about. The only place that that relationship can take him is to the place of, of, of called, or that is called Haran or parched. You ever been parched? thirsty means you're wanting something that makes sense now that's interesting because um the part that you can't miss this and you can't miss this abraham he's heard from god he knows that god has spoken to him god's given him some promises he says here's what i want you to do abraham can't seem to make the break so he follows Terah. Terah takes him to the place that's parched as, as he follows the wrong relationship and this is the part that you can't miss notice in verse 32 of chapter 11 it says And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Everybody see that? The next verse, God speaks to Abraham, which is in chapter 12, right? Okay, you ready to write this down? Okay, here we go. Abraham doesn't get moving until that relationship dies. Write that down. Now, why is that so important? The Bible teaches us in Romans, the Apostle Paul said that everything that was written in former times was written for our instruction. That is that God placed these stories and these words there in order to teach you and I something. And so Abraham, in this opening scenario of his faith, his his initial walk with God, he's brand new to the faith, and and, and God says, here's what I want you to do. Abraham, in order for us to go forward, you're going to have to cut off this relationship, and you're going to have to follow me. And Abraham wants to follow God, but, but he, just, he just can't seem to make the break from that relationship, and so he follows that relationship. That relationship is just wandering and takes him to the place of being parched. That makes sense? Yeah. Now, I'm going to say something, and uh, you won't too often hear me say this, but um, that I... There are times when I just feel like God's telling me to say something, and, uh, and this is what I believe that God is telling me to say today. That right now, there are those in this room, and I believe that you're here for a very specific reason, and if you've been here for any length of time, you know I don't do this. But I believe that there are those in this room that this is just for you. And, and as I've prayed this week, I can't seem to shake That there are those in this room who have come to the place where they have come to that relationship with God. They've heard his voice. They know that God has a plan. But God has spoken to them at some point and said, you need to sever a relationship. And I don't know what that relationship is. But God has spoken to you about severing that relationship. But you haven't been able to sever that relationship. And because of that, now you find yourself in a place of spiritually wandering. And the only place that that relationship that you feel that you can't sever, the only place that that's going to lead you spiritually is a place where you are parched. You're going to be hungering and thirsting for something. Does that make sense? You see, in this room, I want to become very, very specific. I don't know who, and I don't do this. But if there is a lady... And right now, the Lord wants to tell you that you're following a relationship, but that relationship is not your husband. And right now, you don't want to sever that relationship. 
And that relationship will only cause you to wander spiritually and take you to the place that's parched. And you won't get moving again, spiritually speaking, until that relationship is severed. And, and there's a man here who today I would say, that's not your wife. And you don't want to let go of that relationship. But that relationship, all it's going to do in your life is going to cause you to wander and take you to the place that's parched. And you will not get going again spiritually until you sever that relationship. And right now, single person, you're sleeping with that person. You know, you know what God says. And I'm so sorry to be so preachy today. But you know what God's word says. And right now, you won't let go and you won't stop sleeping with that person. And that person that you won't let go of is only going to cause you to wander spiritually and lead you to the place that's not going to be the place of fulfillment. It's going to be the place of parchment, being parched. And God says we will not get going again until that relationship dies. Because Abraham, you can't follow Terah in wandering to the place of being parched and follow me at the same time. And so today you have to make a decision as to who you are going to follow. But know this, Abraham does not get moving again spiritually until that relationship dies. Does that make sense? Okay, well, good. All righty. Well, let's go on. It's interesting also, and I I don't know if I put this on your outline or not, but, but Bible scholars suggest that Abraham burns up about 25 years of his life following Terah. He's left Ur the Chaldeans, and there's some hints in the Bible. We don't know for sure, but it appears about 25 years that, that he goes, and he doesn't, he doesn't uh, follow, follow what God said, but he's following Terah, the wrong relationship. Finally, Terah dies, and he gets going again. Now, the question is, is God mad? And uh, is, is God angry at, at Abraham? And we notice that in chapter 12, when God speaks to him again, God doesn't come to him and say, Abraham, you idiot, you you." fool, you dummy, you just burned 25 years of your life. He, he doesn't do that. He comes and he comes in grace. I want you to notice a verse because maybe today you're like the person who says, you know, I've been following Tara. I'm in that place of being parched. God's not doing a whole lot in my life right now. And I know why, because I won't sever a relationship. And so when you come back and you decide, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm here. Notice here's what the Lord says. There in your outline from Isaiah, it says, Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. Therefore the Lord will wait. I'll wait. How long do you want to wait? Bible scholars suggested that Abraham waited 25 years. Good idea, bad idea? Bad idea, bad idea. It says, Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. and Therefore he may be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. And while uh, you know, he's waiting on us, uh, then we get to wait on him a little bit. He waits, but we burn through so much time. Now, it's also not recorded anywhere that in this time that God speaks to Abraham. He's spoken to him once, way back when. Abraham burns through, we think, 25 years. We don't know. But he burns through so much time, and God never says another word, as far as we know. Not until that relationship dies. As soon as that relationship dies, once again, chapter 12, God begins to speak. Now, what's the point of that? When I'm not hearing from God, when God's no longer giving me direction or leading, I need to ask myself, and you want want to write this down, what's the last thing God said? God's not like me. You know, God's not codependent. We come to God and we say, God, tell me. And God says, okay, here's what I'm thinking. And we go, I don't want that. Okay, Lord, tell me about this. And he doesn't say anything because he's already said about this. And when we do with this, then he says, okay, now I'll talk about this over here. That makes sense? If I'm not hearing from God, what's the last thing that God said? Well, the good news is Abraham gets back on the path, kind of. Verses four through six, it says, so Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him And, uh uh-oh, underline this, Lot went with him. Abraham was, underline this, 75 years old when he departed from Haran. He's already burned up a few years. Let's see how the next few go. Abraham took Sarai, his wife, wants us to know, and who? Lot, his nephew. When the Holy Spirit tells you twice, he doesn't want you to miss it. Make sense? So God wants us to know, here we go again. 
you're getting going. You've gotten rid of Terah, but you're still tagging some along. So he says, verse 5, so Sarah, he took Sarah's wife, Lot, his nephew, all their possessions, all they had accumulated, all the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Wow, interesting. A couple of things. First of all, God says, I want you to follow me. Just follow me to the land that I will show you. We all saw that back in the first couple of verses. We all saw that. Now, one of the interesting things is that God did not and doesn't always disclose the destination. You want to write that down. He says, I will take you to a land that I will show you. Now, this, this verse is so important for me because... I am so goal-oriented. Every year I start with goals. I have a life plan. I have a five-year plan. I have a 10-year plan. I have 20-year. I write down the things that I want to accomplish in the life of my children. I want them to be doing certain things at certain ages. I can't wait till Daniel is 12. He can become scuba certified. I have it written down. We're going to do that. You know, they're going to become doctors and lawyers. I'm going to retire. They're going to support me. It's all part of my plan. So that's, that's the idea. And I am into goals and I am into knowing how we're going to do that and having a plan and I don't like surprises and I'm, I'm really into that. But here's what I've noticed in walking by faith. There are some times when God just comes along and says, you know what, here's what I'm doing. Follow me. Okay, where? No, 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 just follow me. Well, Lord, I need to write it down on my day timer. I need to put it down on my goals. You know, I need to know what I'm working towards. Says, here's what you're working for. Follow me. Follow me. Now, now, let me just say, goals are important. We talked about that early this year. Having a life objective, very important. But there will come a time in your walk with the Lord. And if it hasn't happened, it will. But the God will come to you and he'll say, you know what? Just follow me. But Lord, I need, you know, I got it. What am I working towards? I got to have a goal. Where are we going? Follow me. Uh, nation of Israel in the wilderness, 40 years? Follow me. Where are you going? Doesn't matter. Follow me. And sometimes God does that because of what he's doing in our life. Goals are great. They are biblical. But there comes a time when God says, you know what? We're not doing that right now. That's the most frustrating thing because all you have to do is follow me. Frustrating? Not frustrating. Very frustrating. Absolutely. But it's where God does his deepest work in, in our life. So sometimes God says, just follow me. And sometimes that might mean, follow me, I'm taking you back to school. I'm, I'm taking you to a new job. I'm calling you to quit a job. I'm calling you to start a business. I'm calling you to do something. And, and you might not have it all worked out. You don't know where we're going, but God says, just take the next step. Just the next step. Now, sadly, we notice in this verse that Lot goes with him. We all saw that and you underlined it. Now, Lot's name, interesting in the Hebrew, just means veiled. Just like if you'd put like a blanket on your head, it just means veiled. It just means you can't see. Now, it's in this time, Abraham has heard what God has said. God says, leave the family, leave the relatives, leave your father's house, everybody. You know, just let it go and, and let's go on. You follow me. Somewhere in this, as we saw, you know, Abraham begins to reason. He says, you know, Lot's dad is dead. You know, I mean, I just can't leave him. And then his grandfather died, you know, and Abraham begins to think, I, I need to be here for him. I've got to help him through this time. I mean, I just can't leave him now. He needs me so much. But God said, leave your relatives and your father's house. Now, why is that so important? Because ultimately, Abraham thinks that he's helping Lot. We're going to see in the next couple of chapters that this decision to take Lot along does not help Lot in any way. Ultimately, it brings a great deal of pain in Abraham's life, and it will ultimately destroy Lot's family and Lot's life. So when God tells you to let something go, let it go. Make sense? Okay. Well, so far, our father of faith isn't doing so well down the path of faith, uh, but he's growing. So let's see how it goes. We pick it up in verse 7. And it says, verse 7, it says, And the Lord appeared to Abram and said to, said, to your descendants, I will give this land. Now underline this land. Because this is the land I'm giving you. This is where you're to be. This is where I've brought you. This is where I'm going to bless you. So he, underline this, he built an altar. Built an altar. Everybody see that? There to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there, verse 8, to the mountain east of Bethel. And he, underlined, pitched his tent, pitched his tent with Bethel on the east or with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And the idea is Bethel means house of God. Ai means heap. He's leaving the heap and going to the house of God, essentially. Um, um, I don't know why I told you that. And there he, underlined this, built an altar, built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord, called upon the name of the Lord. 
Now, here, here's where we see why God loves this man so much. Abraham's not going to be perfect. Abraham's going to make a lot of mistakes. We've already seen some today. But there's a certain something in the life of Abraham that God really loves. He gets a lot of things wrong. But I want you to notice what Abraham does, and, and we've just underlined it. First of all, Abraham comes, and every time he has a connection with God, as he comes into the promised land, he sees that God is doing. The first thing that he does here and probably just about everywhere we see him, first thing we notice is that he builds an altar. Does everybody see that? And then you notice that the next thing that he does after he builds an altar, you notice, and I had you underline it, he pitches his tent. Pitches his tent. The wording implies when he builds, that is what is permanent. When he pitches, that is what is temporary. One of the reasons I think that God so loves this man is that early on we see, even though he's got a lot of things wrong, he has a certain priority and the right priority. And that is when he comes to a place, the first thing he does is he builds permanent focus on God. And then he pitches temporarily, focuses on the family. Builds his altar, pitches his tent. Now, why is that so important? We tend, and you want to write this down, we tend to be just the opposite. We tend to build our tents and pitch our altars. And here's how you know. Abraham builds an altar, pitches the tent. In time of difficulty, when you go through a time crunch, let me ask you a question. Don't, don't raise your hand. You go through a time crunch, things are really frazzled, hectic, busy. What gets pitched in your life? Is it worship? Is it your time alone with God? Is it your serving of the Lord? Or, or is this the thing that gets pitched? Is this the thing that gets built? Or is this the thing that gets pitched? In the time crunch, what takes place? Let me ask you another question. When things are tight financially, what gets built and what gets pitched? When things are tight financially, what gets built, what gets pitched? In your life, if when things are tough time-wise, this is what gets pitched. And in your life, when things are difficult financially, this is what gets pitched. But the home, your life... Everything else that you have going on gets built while this gets pitched, then you and I are just the opposite of Abraham. Does that make sense? And so there's something about this man. And God tells us twice just notice he builds an altar. Oh, he builds an altar. Oh, yeah, 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 he pitches his tent. Abraham builds an altar, but he pitches his tent. Now, it's also interesting, um, very, very quickly. Um, how many of you remember the story of Nahor? Great story. Great story. Let me tell it to you. You don't remember? Nobody? Okay. Here's the story of Nahor. Nahor is Abraham's brother. We read his name several times in the last chapter. Nahor goes somewhere and he builds a city. He becomes a very wealthy man. He becomes a very powerful man. As a matter of fact, later on in your Bible, in Genesis chapter 24, it's going to say, Abraham's actually going to send somebody. It says they went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. If somebody builds a city after you and you're the guy who builds the city, would that make you wealthy or poor? Would it make you powerful or not so powerful? You'd be the leader, right? So here's a guy who's powerful, he's wealthy, he has prestige, he has his roots placed very deep, he's built the city, pretty good accomplishment. But let me ask you a question. Who do you remember? Remember the guy who built the city or the guy who lived in a tent? Absolutely. Why? One made an impact. One did something that was bigger than this world. Actually, notice what the Bible says in Hebrews. Here's what it says. By faith, Abraham lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. So he's living in his own land, but he's living like he's a foreigner, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. The promise was, this is all yours. For he was looking for a city which had foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Here's, what, here's the idea. Abraham lives there, but he doesn't put his tent pegs down too deep. This is temporary. Worship is permanent. So here's the idea. Write this down. Here's the message. Have a tent mentality. This is temporary, and that's permanent. And Abraham decided, this is where I'll make my investment, and here's what I won't. So here, our father of faith does good. Would we agree? Good. Abraham, he's in the promised land. He's been led there by God. 
God says, here it is, I'm giving it to you. Uh, and, we, and we see that he's built his altar. So let's see how the father of faith does. He did good just here a moment ago. So let's look in verse 10. It says, now there he is in the promised land. Verse 10, it says, now there was a famine in the land. So Abraham went, underline this, down to Egypt. Good news, bad news. Down to Egypt to sojourn there, for there was a famine severe in the land. So here it is. Abraham comes into the land. He knows that God's called him. He's following God. And, and uh, all of a sudden, a famine comes. And, and all of a sudden, this famine, there's no food. We don't know how we're going to support ourselves. And it's the first sign of trouble. And the first sign of trouble, Abraham leaves everything that God has brought him to because he's now afraid. It's also interesting. It does not record anywhere that Abraham sought the Lord. Now, write, write this down. Sometimes it takes more faith to stay in the promised land than it does to go to the promised land. Now, here's how it works. How many of you are married? Okay, good. Um, may, maybe you're like me. Lord, I, I just, when I got married when I was 35 um, because I was a mess. And so God had to fix me. And, and actually, I had to wait for Cheryl to graduate high school. So then, <laughs> it's not that bad. So, so here's the thing. As a single guy, I know this is not your experience, but it was mine. I was pathetic. God, isn't there just, I mean, there's 7 billion people in the world. Isn't there one woman who would say yes to me? You know, it's a numbers game, right? Will you, will you, will you? you know, no, 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 no. Yes, bingo, there we go. So, and I, Lord, isn't there, come on, Lord, this is the promised land. You know, this is what I want. You know, you've built me this way. I need to be married and I'm not getting any younger. The clock is ticking. I know you've never done this. But there I was praying to the God like this. And and one day God brings Cheryl and there she is. And I said, Lord, this is Miss Promised Land. I'm going in. And and so we begin to date. You know, I tell a bunch of lies. She falls for me and, you know, things are going well. She thinks I'm spiritual. You know, I don't hang out with her all that much. And so we, we finally, I, I ask her to marry me. She says yes. We get married. And there we are in the promised land of marriage. And let me tell you, it took more faith that first year to stay in the promised land than it did to go into the promised land. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Am I the only one? I remember the night where... Um, I, I, I'm not even going to share that with you. <laughs> she left, okay, and I was glad. So, you know, she came back the next morning, and uh, I was glad too. But, but you know, we just... We, we loved each other, and we cared, and we knew that God had called us to be together. But man, oh man, oh man, you take two very independent single people who've been used to living their life on their own, you bring them together and you say, now bond together as husband and wife. It's like two hurricanes just coming together. (laughs) Now, 10 years later, God really did a great work in that first year and we learned so much and I'm so glad, but it took a lot of faith to stay in that promised land than to actually go into the promised land. Does that make sense? Good, because uh, you might be there. So, um, so... Here's a couple of things I think we can agree on in this famine. Abraham comes into the land, there's a famine. First of all, I think we can agree on this. First of all, um, God is not surprised by the famine. Can we agree on that? God called him there. He knows it's going to happen, so he's not surprised. He's not going, gee, I didn't think you were going to have a famine. If I'd have known that, I'd have left you over there in Haran for a little while. That's not the... Not. And, and then I think we can also agree on the, on the fact that God has a plan in the famine. And so the question is, when I'm in that famine... And God's brought me to that place of the promised land. The question is, will I trust God or will I trust him what I see? Because I can look at Abraham's life and I can say, Abraham, you know that God had a plan in this famine. You know that God could have provided. You didn't even seek God. Why, why didn't you just seek God a little bit longer? And he doesn't. So the question is, will I go to the place that God does not call me? Now, what do famines do? Write this down. Famines have this incredible ability to teach us where God guides God provides. And sometimes God calls us into a famine because he wants us to grow in our faith. And he brings us to the place where it's been said so many times before that we don't know that Jesus is all we need until Jesus is all we got. And sometimes God takes us to the place where we have nothing else that we can trust in other than God or we can bail. And it's in that time, it's in that time, where we either grow in faith or we take a massive detour away from all that God has for us. We have a couple more minutes. Let's keep going. Can we keep going? Yeah. 
Okay. All right. Egypt, for those of you who've been around the Bible for some length of time, always represents the, the world. Write that down. Uh, notice what, what God says. It says there in your outline from Isaiah, it says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt. Every time you go to Egypt in the Bible, it's always going down, like you're going into the pit. And it says, But they do not look, but they do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. Well, it appears that the Father of Faith is having a difficult time. But the good news in our story is God's not finished with the father of faith. And you know what? If you've identified with Abraham so far, God's not through with you. So God uses stories like Abraham to bring to you and I a little bit of hope. If God can take that guy and make him the father of faith, he can do something in your life and he can do something in my life too. Does that make sense? Okay. Well, it gets worse before it gets better. Let's pick it up in verse 11. And it says, and it came when he came down near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife. Okay, ladies, I want you to really focus in on this. He says, now, see now, honey, baby, sweetie, lovey. I know that you are a beautiful woman. Kind of a good thing to say, right? And when the Egyptians see you, you know, because you're so hot and beautiful and lovely, they will say, this is his wife. And lovey, they will kill me. But they will let you live. Now, honey, because I'm so deep and caring, please say that you are my sister so that it may go well with me because of you and that I may live on account of you. Well, okay, ladies. Is Abraham a jerk here? He is? Okay, good. I wasn't sure. And and so um, would you say that, that... here, she, he takes his wife to a foreign land, and he says, honey, just tell him that you know, I'm, we're brother and sister. And by the way, they, they kind of are. And we'll get to that in a couple of chapters. Um, no, really, it, Abraham's dad had a few wives, and that was the daughter of one of the other ones. So it's a half-sister. Um, but I didn't want you to think uh, about West Virginia. So let's, let's just, <laughs> we'll stay with this. In some pockets of Kentucky. So we'll just... <laughs> now, here, here's the thing. Um, so would you say that she would be justified at this point in saying, you know, pal, we're done. I'm tired of living in a tent. I'm tired of doing this. What do you mean you're taking me to a foreign land? I don't even speak the language. You want me to tell everybody I'm your brother or you're, I'm your sister? I'm your, I'm your wife, okay? And all you really care about is saving your neck? Do you care what happens to me in this? I mean, would she be justified in saying, hey, pal, we are done? Would you say yes? yes. Good, good. Okay, well, you're going to be wrong, but I'm going to show you in a few minutes. So here we go. But I want to I just point out something that we see in Abraham's life. And we're going to come back and look at this in a couple of weeks. But small compromises lead to bigger compromises. Write that down. You see, God said, leave your relatives. But Abraham said, you know, I'm, I'm leaving most of them, but I'm still taking a lot. It's just a little bit of a compromise. And then God says, here's the promised land. And I want you to stay here. And this is the place. But then God, then Abraham looks and says, but you know, it's not really working out. So I'm going to compromise a little bit. I'm going to go to the place that you didn't call me to go. Just a little bit of a compromise. And then he comes to the land of Egypt, and as he goes into Egypt, he says to his wife, he says, honey, here, here's the deal. I just, just a little compromise. Is that a little compromise, passing your wife off as your sister? Ladies, big compromise, small compromise? Big. Okay. Guys, we don't get that. So, but yeah, that's a big thing. So anyways, <laughs> verses 14 through 16. It came about when Abraham came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her, praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. So now she's going to go live in the, in the uh, castle. Therefore, he treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys, male and female servants, and female donkeys and camels. So um, Sarah goes into the castle And uh, they take her, and as she goes into the castle, uh, she gets to take a bath. She's been living in a tent. Now she's living in a castle. You get the sense that maybe she's a little fed up with Abram at this point. She's probably up. She has a new robe on. She's had a a shower, hasn't had one. She rode in on a camel. Now she doesn't have to ride a camel. She looks out over the balcony. There she is. She's clean. She has a nice dress on, living in a nice castle. This isn't really going to move around a lot. Uh, Women tend to like to stay in one place as opposed to moving every three or four weeks and, and she looks over and then she sees Abraham. He hasn't had a shower. He smells like a goat. Probably down there playing with all the goats and sheep that, 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 that he's been given, you know. And he's just down there with the sheep and just so excited that he's got all this stuff. Looks up and he sees Sarah. She's all decked out. She's all beautiful. And, uh, you know, she looks down. He's looking up and he's like, honey, is this great or what? You know, because he's like, you know, the jerk. So anyways... <laughs> 
So, again, Sarah's had a bath. She's living in a castle. Uh, she doesn't have to set up and tear down her tent all the time. And I'm, I'm guessing at this point that, um, you know, Pharaoh, he brought her there because he wanted her to be his bride or whatever it is they did there. And so Pharaoh walks in. He's definitely had a bath. And uh, I, I'm just... I don't know this. You know, this is a little conjecture, but I think Pharaoh was a good-looking guy. I mean, I've seen Yul Brenner when he played Pharaoh. He's a pretty good-looking guy, you know? And so I'm just guessing that Pharaoh's in pretty good shape. Good-looking guy comes walking in, and, uh, you know, you sort of get the sense that he's got, like, the robe on kind of open chest. <laughs> a little glass of wine. Comes walking in. There's Sarah. Hello. <laughs> Sarah's leaning back on the balcony. She looks at him. She goes, he's really good looking. Then she looks down over the balcony. <laughs> There's Abraham. Smells like a goat. Hasn't had a bath. Playing with the sheep. He looks up. He goes, Sarah! She looks back. There's Pharaoh. And she says, Lord, I, I know that you've called me to be married to the guy who smells like a goat. And, and yet, in my current circumstances, Lord, I, I've, I've been kind of now promised to this guy too. I don't know what to do. And Lord, he's really good looking. I don't know what I should do. But Lord, I'm trusting you because at this point, I'm really tempted. He smells like a goat. He's promised me to him. He's good looking. But I know this isn't wrong. But I don't know what to do. And I don't know what I can do. So what happens? Well, it's at this point, as Pharaoh approaches, that God intervenes. This would be great in the movie. Verse 17, it says, But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues, underlined because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So here's the picture. Pharaoh comes walking in, walking up, and all of a sudden he feels an itch. And he realizes he has the worst hemorrhoids in the history of the world. And he's like, I'll get back to you. And he walks away, and it starts to feel better. He goes, I think I'm okay. <laughs> and he starts to connect the dots. Now, I, this, this is not in your Bible, but I, it's pretty clear. And so, so here, Pharaoh approaches, and, and it says that God struck him. Now, now, notice verse 18. So the Pharaoh connects the dots. And notice verse 17 says he does this because of, of Sarai, not because of Abram. It says, and Pharaoh called Abram and said... What is this you've done to me? I can't even sit down. Why, why do you not tell me that she was your wife? Why do you say she's my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. Get out of the kingdom. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away. Make sure he gets out of the kingdom with his wife and all that belongs to him. Now, very, very quickly, um, Abraham does this compromise, and in this compromise, you just notice that it really makes God and everything that Abraham believes in look really bad. Because right now, Pharaoh, he doesn't really want to hear about Abraham's God, because Abraham's just made God look very bad. But as we look on, Sarah, we would say, has every right to tell Abraham, we are done. I mean, how stupid can you be? It's interesting to me, and we'll wrap up with this, but in the New Testament, it references this very story. And in the New Testament... It says, First Peter, or Peter writes, in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands. Would you say that Sarah was submissive to Abraham in this time? Yes. Was Abraham an idiot in this time? Yes. Yeah, he was on tens on the idiot meter. There he is. And so, it says, in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that if even, even if any of them are disobedient to the word. Was Abraham disobedient to the word? What was the word? Go into the promised land. Stay there. If any are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Just as Sarah obeyed Abram, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Now, there's much to be said, and I won't really develop that here because we're running out of time. We talk about that in First Peter. But, but God uses Abraham's most stupid decision to be used as an opportunity for Sarah to grow, not in her faith in her husband, but in her faith in God. Does that make sense? 
Now, are there times when somebody needs to separate? Absolutely. We're not talking about that. We're talking about, in this case, God used this for Sarah to grow in her faith in God, even though Abram is making the dumbest decision he's ever made, at least up to this point. Now, write this down. Because Sarah, in this circumstance, trusted God, not Abraham, because she trusted God, God, number one, protected her. And then number two, and we saw that in verse 17, God steps in. And in verse two, God blessed Abraham. And in verse 20, it says, Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him that they should be escorted with his wife and all that belonged to him. Now, Abraham makes a terrible decision in coming to Egypt. In coming to Egypt, it's a bad decision. Sarah trusts that God is doing something. While they are there, they are going to pick up some servants along the way. One of the servants that they pick up on this trip is called Hagar, or Hagar. We'll deal with her in a few weeks. But this is going to become literally a world rift. The point of today is simply this. Every one of us begins just like Abraham. We begin as people who've been called by God. We begin as those that God has said, I want you to follow me. Abraham has some blunderings along the way. Hey, guys, wait, wait a minute. We'll we'll be done. You'll get lunch. Abraham has some blunderings along the way. In those blunderings, God initially, number one, does not begin to move in Abraham's life until a specific relationship is severed. If you're here today and you need to sever a relationship, today is your day. Sever that relationship. Because God doesn't go any further until. If God's called you into the promised land, maybe that's marriage. Maybe that's a certain circumstance that God's called you in. Maybe right now your promised land is just being in a good church and being single. And God's called you there. But things aren't working out. Be very careful before you take matters into your own hand, like Abraham, who did not pray and seek God and go somewhere else that God has not called you. God calls you to another church. That's cool. That's what pastors say. So... (laughs) And finally, God continues to deal with Abraham. Even though Abraham makes mistake after mistake after mistake, God is not through with Abraham and God is not through with you. Does that make sense? Let's close in prayer and then Jeff come close us in song. Heavenly Father, as we've just studied through your word today and seen the man that becomes the father of faith and yet, Lord, realizing that he's very much like me and very much like all of us and makes a lot of mistakes and yet, Lord, you never give up on him. And Lord, we look forward over the next few weeks of seeing this man grow in his faith and becoming the godly man that you've called him to be. And Lord, we look forward to in our lives as we look at our mistakes and sometimes we think that you're done with us. There's no way you could fix this this circumstance. And yet, Lord, we see in your word, we hear by your spirit that you're not done with us. And so, Father, I pray for each and every one of us today that we would walk away with a sense of hope, a sense of hope that there's still more that you're going to do in our lives, that you're still making us, and that he who began that good work would be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.